hello to our listeners all around the world. You know that you're tuned in to the Book and Film Globe podcast, and I am your host, Neil Pollock, the Editor-in-Chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and much more. We have a fine show for you this week. As always, 2022 is coming to a close, and as such, it's year in review time on the site, and we have a critics roundtable about the best and worst television shows of 2022. John Paul Gwynn and Paula Schaefer will be joining me shortly to talk about that. But first, we're going to talk with film critic Sarah Stewart about the new Avatar movie, the sequel, the long-awaited sequel to Avatar, Avatar The Way of Water, which is playing in theaters now in 3D, 2D, 4D, 8D, whatever D you want to see it in. There's a D for you. Avatar The Way of Water is now available. The little movie, you may have heard of it. Sarah will be right here to talk to us about it after this musical and watery interlude. It has arrived. The sequel to Avatar long awaited and much maligned and much discussed it has come to theaters and it is going to set all kinds of box office records and create all kinds of avatar discourse people either love avatar or they hate avatar but if they love it they really really love it and uh, sarah stewart our our critic uh is a i would call her an avatar lover that's not a not an epithet um, and she has seen Avatar 2, The Way of Water, as have I, and she's here to talk to me about it. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Yes. So um, as we were saying before we started recording, I saw Avatar 2, The Way of Water on an IMAX in 3D um, the day it opened, and you also saw it uh, on IMAX in 3D. I did. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, James Cameron uh, is um, – if nothing else, a very uh, progressive when it comes to film technology. And he knows exactly how to use 3D technology and how to use CGI and how to really immerse the viewer in, in a world. You know, and that is sort of Avatar 2's great strength, I think. I mean, that is its, uh, arguably, its only strength. Um, it, you know, I, I, I think the first one was just so revolutionary in its use of 3D and its use of the visuals that he had invented. I, I really felt when I saw it that I was seeing seeing something truly new and different for maybe the first time in my movie-going career as far as technology goes. And I feel like he delivered on, on the promise of, of making it bigger and in some ways better in this movie. Yeah, I mean, you know, this, is, this movie takes the sort of the cloud forest setting of the first avatar and moves it to an ocean setting basically like the uh the main character and his family settle in pretty pretty early on relatively early on with a bunch of reef reef people reef navi and uh it's like a lot there's just a lot of like underwater it's like almost like underwater cgi photography i mean there it's extremely um realistic feeling given that you know it, it takes place uh, on a foreign planet and a lot of the main characters are space whales it really does. I mean, it, it feels you, you kind of stop thinking about the fact that it's digitally created, um, I, I think, at a certain point. And, and I think at least partially that just is, is due to James Cameron being such an ocean enthusiast. I, 
you know, I, I don't know if everyone knows he's, he's long been obsessed with deep sea diving, obviously with Titanic. And uh, I believe he, he built his own submarine at, at yeah. some point post Titanic. He went to the bottom of the Marianas trench, you know? So, yeah. so the, um, so the movie, I mean, I don't know. It feels like a, it's a fantasy of what uh, an unspoiled undersea world uh, might look like as opposed to our own. But, uh, you know, it is it is extremely immersive and, um, you know, and, and very compelling. Let's but let's be clear that there, there are there are things in the movie that are also not compelling, like like the characters and the dialogue. <laughs> You know, I mean, well, there's some laughable, yeah. laughable characters in this thing. There's some there's some okay characters, sort of out of screenwriting 101. You know, the 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 Jake Sully's kids have reasonable motivations, and you know, and they have you know their their story arcs seem to make sense within the context of the movie. But there are some really, really absurd and terrible characters as well. Dad, I know you think I'm crazy. But I feel her. I hear her heartbeat. She's so close. I think that's true. And I, you know, I do say in my review, I, I don't come to either of the Avatar movies looking for deep character development. Like I... You know, I, I didn't get that in the first one, and, and I was okay with it, and I was also okay with it here. But I will not argue with the fact that there are pretty thinly developed characters here, maybe none more so than the uh, the, the humans who are pursuing the Jake Sully character. Uh, Cameron brings back Stephen Lang, who I actually enjoyed. I really enjoyed him as a villain in, in the first, and in this one, his consciousness has been somehow uploaded into a, an avatar who looks like the Navi people from the first movie and uh, he just sort of relentlessly uh, pursues Jake Sully throughout this movie which is really ultimately just distracting from the thing that I think a lot of us are there for which is this aquatic playground that James Cameron has invented he just keeps cutting away to show us these sort of bigger and crueler methods that this character comes up with to uh, to humiliate the the aliens. Yeah, and especially because I feel like there are genuine villains in the script in the whale hunters, you know. Yeah. You know who were who are I don't know if they were better developed, but they were certainly more uh, you know obviously villainous and, and and less stereo. They were less stereotypical in some ways, and you know they're they're. The best scene in the movie is also the most disturbing. It's this extended whale hunt sequence that they go on to kill to kill one of the the, the sort of main space whales, and it's extremely um, tightly directed and very suspenseful and really really kind of horrifying. Um, that that was I thought that was the best scene in the movie. Although I will say you, you are right in your review you mentioned that sort of the uh, revenge action sequence where the uh, where the, the the people and the whales finally fight back against the the bad guys who are terrorizing them is, you know, at least for the first half of it until it sort of becomes a Titanic homage, uh, pretty satisfying to watch as, as action. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, in, in the way that many of Cameron's action movies are, I, I think, you know, I definitely show up for them waiting for that moment of, of payback. And I think that he really 
delivers that here. And, and again, you know, even with his, as you said, uh, some somewhat thinly sketched characters, I think that you can get a real sense of uh, satisfaction out of watching um, the, the uh, Navi and, and some of the animals uh, really uh, F up the, uh, the, 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 the bad know, guys. Yeah. And, the bad guys. I mean, the audience, I was with an audience that was loving every second of this movie and it was cheering when the bad guys were getting, you know, you don't see that a lot in, in Oh the, man, I'm jealous. Our our audience was totally dead. I mean, just oh, nothing, oh, nothing. Yeah. Just lots of whooping and hollering. There were people with with faces painted uh, in in the crowd. There was whooping. Oh man. And <laughs> so I was like, oh geez, okay. I I, mean, I I I personally was not. I mean, there were a couple of moments where I was like, oh shit, you know. There. I you had, didn't show up at the blue face paint, Neil. I can't believe it. No, I didn't. I didn't show up at the blue face paint. We 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 need to um we need to talk about spider though. <laughs> because Spider, to my mind, is the is the worst character in a movie sequel since Jar Jar Binks, and it's clear <laughs> it's clear to me that Spider is going to play a key role in the uh, in the Avatar saga as it unfolds. James Cameron is in love with Spider, who is like a a dread uh, he's a blonde dreadlocked human boy who was basically raised among the Navi, um, and he wears a, a weird oxygen face mask, and he has a He's like he's like a Tarzan boy. They call him Monkey Boy. He's like, he he's a Tarzan boy for sure. And you know, it, it's always the the blonde kid with dreadlocks, man. He is. This is the origin story of the villain from the next movie. Can we say? Probably. I feel like that might be a safe bet. Probably, or or the complicated antihero or whatever. But yeah. you know, he wears a you know he wears a you know a brown loincloth and he's got body paint and he's like jumping around and he's like and he's kind of weirdly sized compared to the other characters he just he's i just, think he says bro a lot too just bro and cuz you yeah, okay yeah. Bro? i'm good cuz i'm good okay bro i'm like this is the future in space okay and, he, and he's and, and he's talking like he's talking like a a character from i don't even know what 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 that lingo is from like a like a like a, a skateboarding documentary from the mid Mid, he's like he's like itchy and scratchy's new pal Pucci. <laughs> I just I was waiting, waiting for him to get taken back to his home planet. But I was like, he just kept. There's a lot of spider in this movie. A lot of spider. There is a lot of spider. I maybe I I've, I've blocked out a little bit of spider because he's just such a distraction from uh, from from what I wanted out of this movie. But but you're right. I mean, he's just he's a plot device, and he. Uh, I, I don't really know. I mean, I, I can't spoiler it. I, I can't, I, I don't want to speculate. Much. Spider X Machina. And he, uh, you know, he, <laughs> he serves the function, you know, it, it takes a lot to, in a, an Avatar movie to have something worse than Jake Sully's Brooklyn accent. <laughs> I mean, every, every time that character opened his mouth to say, are we a family? I'm like, are you, are, 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 we, are you kidding me? <laughs> Side note: Did you also observe the uh, the Brooklyn accent in Sam Worthington's portrayal of a Utah Mormon in uh, in in that recent um, the adaptation of the John Krakauer book? Oh, the Under the Banner of Heaven. He, he, yes, Under the Banner of Heaven. That's right. Yeah. Same accent. So, he's not he's, from Brooklyn, isn't he? Australian. I don't, I don't know, know what's going on there. He's a terror. I mean, whatever. He's not even really in the movie. I mean, it's just his avatar. But you know, he's he is a terrible actor. Let's let 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 us be clear i mean I, i'm sure he i've read the articles i know he's been through all kinds of addiction struggles 
and it's a big <laughs> comeback for him. And I'm glad that I'm glad that his bank account is getting lined and all that. But but that said, he's not the worst thing um, about about this this movie. It is uh, it is in fact Spider. I feel like Worthington wears the suit well enough in this movie. I think he does what we need from him, and you know he rides the aquatic flying dragon well enough, and that's all I really need here. It's a, it's like an alligator. It's like an alligator fish bird that he's riding. Alligator, yeah, alligator fish bird. That's right. And uh, and and um and, and spider is a, pu- a puppy monkey baby. <laughs> Can we also talk about the how just the extent to which Kate Winslet does not in fact appear in this movie? She's she's got you know pretty high billing here, and I think she's probably going to be more prominent in the third one. But what's her character? Honest to God, which was her character? She is the wife of the chief of the you know the sea people, oh, the oh, pregnant one. The pre- the pregnant one who has who has the connection with the whale. She has a connection with the whale. Yeah, yeah she has not, all like one good moment. Not 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 a huge part, but you know it's like what do you expect? You know the the wife. Yeah. Of the, you know there's are there's already one like warrior wife character they had to get you know zoe saldana does a lot of there was something about zoe saldana's voice in this too where like i felt like she was losing her voice a lot of times when she was crying or hissing i feel like that happens in the first one too i think it that's just what happens to her voice when she gets real worked up because it kind of goes into this register where you almost can't hear it let's face it you know we're not watching avatar 2 the way of water for the acting because it's not good or for the characters or a script, it's not good. It's really about the spectacle. I will say though, you know, Jermaine Clement is in this movie, and he is—he's actually—he's probably the best. Gives the best performance in the entire movie. I was so happy to see him. I really was. I just—you know—he's this sad marine biologist. I don't know how he ended up with this gig. It's the worst thing in the world. He's got to go on these hunting runs with this Australian guy, and he just—he hates his work. Yeah. And, you know, all I could keep thinking of was like, oh, you know, this is the same guy who got that moment in Moana. He got to be a sparkly, yeah. what is he, like he's a sparkly underwater crab or something. Yeah. So uh, I felt like this was a good connection to that. Best part of the movie, uh, best performance of the movie by far. Um, so, all right, look, Avatar Whale, Avatar 2, The the Way of Water, The, the, way, of, the way of Walter. Uh, I, <laughs> the yeah. Way of Spider. Yeah, The Way of Spider uh, is is not, you know, you're, you're it's here. It's never going away, um, and you know, go immerse yourself in it. Uh, it you got to see it at as many with as many special technologies as possible, because I felt like the, the 3D. I was like, I was in it, man. I was in. I was in the shit. We were in the shit. That's yeah. all you need. All right. Well, I, I and you know, you're a big Avatar fan, so you you seem fairly happy and satisfied. I am. I'm happy, satisfied, and completely exhausted. I cannot rewatch this movie. It is too damn long. But yes, I am happy with what I saw. All right, very good. Sarah, thank you so much. We will talk to you soon. That's all they see. I see you. The way of water connects all things. Before your birth. After your 2022 is coming to a close. It has been a fine year of television. We have run many best and worst TV lists for the year on the site, uh, but we have no um, worst TV critics. We only have the best TV critics, and I have two of our best TV critics here with me today to talk about TV in 2022. John Paul Gwynn and Paula Schaefer, both of whom have been on the show before. Welcome to both of you. Um, 
Hello. So first of all, before, and I'm also going to reference a list that we did by Daniel Cohen, who couldn't join us today, but has uh, interesting selections as always. But before we get to that, I'm going to just run down real quick what I considered my best and worst TV shows of the year. My best list is, is somewhat obvious, I would say, but you know, these shows were good. The White Lotus season two, Severance, The Bear, House of the Dragon, Andor, and, you know, I kind of had a thing for season three of The Boys. I loved the, fir the first season of The Boys was an obvious choice for Best Of when it came out. And I didn't like season two as much. And I thought The Boys made a nice comeback in season three. So those are my best shows. You can't go wrong watching any of those. The worst shows of the year, in my opinion, I, admittedly, I did not watch every TV show. So, you know, keep in mind, like, I, I wasn't watching Chicago Med or, or whatever you want, whatever, you know, was lurking in the darkest corners of the TV universe. So these are the worst shows that I watched. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, uh, Mexican Week on The Great British Baking Show, which is one of the worst things I've ever seen on TV. Uh, Paula and I have talked about this show before. Reboot on Hulu, uh, the latest season of Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai um, was a great show the first couple of seasons, but it has increasingly uh, gone into a self-parodic mode. And Perhaps the nadir of all cooking competitions on TV, Netflix's Is It Cake, where contestants try to determine whether something is a piece of cake or an actual object. And this went on and on and on for many episodes. So now we're going to turn to our critics. JP Gwynn, hello. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I am fine. So I thought it was interesting. Your best, your best list uh, included, you know, I, I probably could have included what we do in the shadows in mine as well. And I actually might, since as we're talking, I haven't actually published my list yet. That, that this season of what we do in the shadows was hilarious. Um, I thought it was interesting that you included Jeopardy, uh, you're your former contestant as am I on your mm -hmm. list of best shows of the year. And Daniel Cohen included celebrity Jeopardy on his worst shows of the year. And, you know, I have to kind of concur with both of you. Like, you know, Jeopardy was terrific this season, right? I, Jeopardy was very, very good this season. What I get to see of it, they air it at like 4 or 4.30 in the afternoon in Austin. So I frequently miss it. I don't. 3.30, 3.30 in the afternoon. Is it 3.30 now? Yes, oh my 3 God. 3.30. I know. Get it together, Austin. 6.30, 7.30, come on. Um, yeah, it's, um, what I've gotten to see of it is really good. Uh, and I mean, what, even if I miss episodes, um, Tuning into all the, the stuff, all of the reactions to it and all the chatter around it on the internet and talking with all the, the trivia nerds that we know, it was, it was an exciting season for everybody. A lot of multi-day winners, uh, Amy Schneider um, finishing out the fantastic run at the beginning of the year and then winning the tournament of champions yeah. later in the year. And it was and an it was interesting TOC. It was a great close, closely fought tournament between quality players. And then I thought, I don't know if you've seen Celebrity Jeopardy. That is a primetime show. And I've seen I will, a couple of episodes. I will agree with Daniel. It is awful. There's so much banter. Most of the contestants are, are absolutely terrible. Um, and it's just, it, it, it's, it's just kind of embarrassing. But, you know, but, but, but in general, the Jeopardy universe has recovered quite well and intelligently from the twin fiascos of the death of Alex Trebek and the, and the Mike Richards uh, producer, you know, the, the producer who tried to, like, you know, hijack the show and, and, and evilly reshape it in his own image. Good, good one out, right? He, he doesn't seem like a real human being. Like when I look at him, 
He doesn't seem like a real human being. If you'd asked me his name a year ago, I would have been able to tell you. And when you just said it now, I went, oh, yeah, that that thing happened. I Villain. completely Villainy. forgot about it. Villainy happened. All right. So let's talk about uh, we, what we do in the shadows. We, we've talked about it on this show before. But what I really wanted to focus on from your best list here um, is Our Flag Means Death uh, on HBO Max, which is sort of the queer pirate show. That comes from uh, Taika Watiti and uh, Reese Darby, both of whom were involved in Flight of the Concords. And you know, I I had sort of I had deliberately not been watching the show, but it hadn't it hadn't uh, entered my um, my lexicon until until I read your piece, and then I started watching it. And you know, boy, this is a uh, an extremely uh, it's, it's it's kind of does for pirates what what we do in the shadows does for vampires, right? I agree, and I think that what's uh... I think that what's good about uh, what's what's good about both shows is similar, and what also doesn't work about both shows is similar. They they throw a lot of things out there, and some of the jokes fall a little bit flatter than others. But the jokes that really hit hit really hard. And I think that one of the things that I love so much about Our Flag Means Death is not only is it a really really funny show but it's also a really really funny show that connects sincerely connects with a lot of people who are fans of the show uh and the fact that it's so queer positive doesn't feel um as if it's uh kind of performative it feels sincere uh and well, and it's and it's important in that way pirates were notoriously fluid in a lot of yeah. ways yeah so, you know when the crowd gets flowing isn't Steve Bonnet the, um, the quote unquote gentleman pirate played by Reese Darby? Isn't he, isn't he based on a real character? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, so, you know, the, I'm, the whole I'm premise, answering off the top of my head. The premise, yes. of, the premise of the show basically is that an English gentleman, uh, Steve Bonnet, um, very wealthy English gentleman, uh, basically seizes control or, or, or starts a pirate ship and hires a crew of just, completely dysfunctional, strange, um, very multicultural and uh, pansexual pirates. And they, they, they travel the, um, the seven seas um, doing, doing battle with the British and the Spanish and they run into Blackbeard's crew and the whole thing. It's just so absurd. It's like, it's like pirates of the Caribbean, but, but funny and, and, you know, snarky and cool. Yeah. And most of them aren't really badasses. They kind of, the crew that Steed has kind of wants to be. All of them are actual pirates, but they feel like kind of the bad news bears of pirates. But he's even worse because he's just this rich guy who kind of wants to be a pirate, but doesn't really understand what that means. Well, he wants the notoriety, but he doesn't, he doesn't actually want to, to hurt anyone or kill anyone. And he doesn't need the money. <laughs> so, right. so it's like, what's the point? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's it's a fun show. I'm I'm interested to see what they do with it next season. All right, so the rest of your list was Better Call Saul. You, you, yeah. you talked about Jeopardy, what we do in the shadows, and Euphoria, and HBO Max, all, most of which we've covered uh, here before. And then for your worst shows of the year, we've got The Walking Dead, which you know talking talking about putting a fork in it. Um, let the right one in, which we've talked about before on this show, which is the vampire show on, on, on Showtime. Uh, HBO Max's Search Party, which is another show that we're putting away. The Terminal List, which was like a Navy SEAL movie on Amazon Prime, and and you uh, decided to take a shot at House Hunters. 
<laughs> I hate House Hunters so much. It's still God, going I on. House I Hunters. stopped watching House Hunters years it's, ago. House Hunters, House Hunters International. I just, I mean, just there's so much TV. There's so much stuff on TV that I could, you know, hate. I'm sure, you know, like I, I, I like Tucker Carlson less than I like House Hunters, but he's not worth mentioning there. Uh, but House Hunters is just the most seemingly benign show on TV that just drives me up the wall. Uh, and, and somehow I get subjected to it, whether I want to or not. I don't know avoid how. it when you're traveling. Yeah. Yeah. House Hunters is like the bed bugs of TV. I don't, it's just always there. All right. Don't watch House Hunters. Watch Our Flag Means Death. I was wondering if either of you, um, you could sort of raise your hand or chime in. Um, I have some cooking shows on my worst list of the year. I know Daniel would have something to say about it, but he is not available. He's not available to us at the moment. Either of you are familiar with uh, the Mexican week from the cooking show? Okay, and Wacky Molo and (laughs) Mexico. It's full of colors. Mexico is full of colors. Well, the the thing about Mexican week was, you know, there was literally a character on Mexican week who made, uh, they were making tres leches cakes, which, yeah, all right, that's a Mexican cake. But this guy made a cake with, first of all, they, you know, people who make tres leches cake were like the whole recipe was wrong, but this guy made a cake with a giant fake mustache on it. Oh no. Yes. And they loved it. Yeah, they loved it. Oh, no. <laughs> they loved it. He was one of the finalists. He made the final. Yeah, giant fake mustache. And then, well, and then, of course, for Mexican week, this was my worst nightmare because um, the British British cuisine in 2022 does have its share of multicultural influences. You know, there's a lot of African fusion. There's you know Middle Eastern, whatever, and they, they do that well. But they don't know how to cook Mexican food. Uh, they even literally asked, the hosts literally asked in the opening segment, is Mexico a real place? Um, and, uh, you know, and, and they, had a, they, had a, they had to make tacos. They had a taco-making competition. The last thing I would ever eat on Earth is a taco made by a contestant on a British baking show. First of all, a taco is not baking. No. Secondly, I think, I think there's actually something worse than a taco that they could have made. Um, that episode inspired me to Google British nachos. Oh. They involve baked beans and fried eggs. Oh, no. Well, all right. JP, you were raising your hand. Well, you, got, you got something to add there? I saw – I was at, a, at, a, at an improv uh, convention like, I don't know, 10 years ago or something like that. And there was a British troupe there. This is in uh, Northeast. And one of their bits was, not, uh, was about not understanding how to eat a taco. Yeah. Like literally just not understanding how to pick it up and put it in your mouth. It's like kind of the Chevy Chase joke from Three Amigos. You can so. YouTube that at this point, I think. Uh, you know, I, I, anyway, so, a Brit, you know, Mexican week was, in general, the, the season, although the, the, the woman who won the Great British Baking Show this season was, was quite charming um, and possibly could have won on any other season. But this season was, was definitely a sort of a shark jumping low point. And Mexican week is going to go down in, in TV history as one of the most infamous things ever to happen. And Paula, did you also, um, did you watch, is it cake? I know you work on I, TV, so it's possible that you saw is it cake. I actually watched the show that was just like that, that was on last year, hosted by Josh Groban, which I can't remember what it's called, but it was the same thing. There was a music? conveyor belt and they had to choose what was cake and what was not. So there are actually two shows like that. Yeah, there's also a show, there's a show going. I love the this genre of like 
off-brand cooking shows on Netflix and Hulu. I watched a pizza competition. Uh, I, I watched a um, – there's something called Snack versus Chef where these chefs – you know, Hari Kondabalu and another comedian whose name I don't remember have these – and then these two food scientists are having chefs like recreate um, flaming Hot Cheetos and Pringles and Double Stuffed Oreos and I'm just – Oh, yeah. I saw a bit of that. Yeah, snack versus Chef. It's okay. But I'm just like – I just – the genre, you know, it's like food TV must be incredibly cheap to make because it just it's an endlessly unspooling house of horrors. And I'm just like, how many more professional food people are there available to appear on these programs? And so I don't know. I, I, I have a as you both know, I have I have a thing about food TV and we'll continue to talk about it. Um, we could just all eat a, you know basic sandwiches. We don't need this. Um, all right. So let's. Um, Let's uh, go on. Paula, let's talk about your list. Let me call it up here. You had a, an, an interesting array of selections. These High School, which is the Tegan and Sarah uh, show on Amazon Freebie. I don't even know what that is. Uh, I haven't seen that. Then the Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal, which I should probably include on my list. Severance, What We Do in the Shadows. And uh, an interesting choice on your part, Upload on Amazon Prime, uh, which is a show that I really hadn't considered, but then you met, recommended it, and I started watching it. And I, I, find it I find it quite charming. It's kind of, um, it's kind of like Black Mirror crossed with um, The Good Place in some ways. Yeah, it's very light, but I found the first season was enjoyable, but the second season got really good, and I think about it a lot. And so, like, I, was, I really felt like it belonged on there because if – a light TV show sticks with you and you think about it, that's a good sign. Well, agreed. And, and I do, I find it sort of vision of the near future to be, I don't know if exactly believable, but it, it, it has some, uh, it feels right and compelling. And I also, the, um, the main uh, relationship between the guy who gets uploaded and his handler, they have a, they have really good chemistry. Yeah. It's just, it's charming. It's, it's an enjoyable show that is kind of under the radar. People never really talk about it. Hopefully it'll keep going because Greg Daniels is behind it. And who doesn't want a partnership with him? He knows how to make a comedy. I just, it's odd that something like this isn't on NBC or, or a more sort I mean, I guess, you know, Amazon has the money, but I don't, I don't, most Amazon shows don't, people don't watch them for the most part. Yeah, because mostly they're unwatchable. Right, like Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. That's exactly what I was thinking of, yes. Uh, extremely unwatchable. Ian, I somehow watched the entire thing. I, I, I just felt myself getting dragged further and further down into the into the, the dwarf mines. And every episode just every episode got more and more lugubrious and horrific. But, you know, it's interesting that you mention um, your five shows that you mentioned as the worst are, include The Book of Boba Fett – uh, which is a Star Wars show. Um, you know, I didn't think Bo the Boba Fett show was as bad as Obi Wan Kenobi. It's interesting that you should you would pick that one as as the disappointment. I I thought about Obi Wan. I was really torn between the two, but I like Ewan McGregor. He's more handsome. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm shallow. No, um, it, it it just Boba Fett was more of a bummer. I guess I expected less from Obi Wan going in, and Boba Fett, I was actually kind of hyped, like, oh, this will be very cool, and it was not. 
Yeah, although Boba Fett, I feel like it, it, rede- it gets redeemed by the fact that it essentially turns into a, a stealth season of The Mandalorian halfway through. Right. So it's like they just were like, yep, you know what? This Boba Fett thing isn't working. Let's just do more Mandalorian episodes. And so it wasn't exactly what, you know, it was like a comic book that gets taken over by a supporting character. Um, so I think that redeemed it. Whereas Obi-Wan, like, never, you know, it was kind of like it uh, It had elements of Bo- Boba Fett and also Andor, but couldn't commit to either of them. You know, the Star Wars shows have been so all over the map this year because Andor was so good and so gripping and so realistic almost for a Star Wars show. And, you know, Boba Fett was such a mixed bag and Obi-Wan was such a um, cartoon, such a horrible cartoon. So it's just it was. What? When Flea showed up in Obi-Wan in the first episode, I was like, okay, this is done. <laughs> he wasn't even playing the guitar. I know. He plays bass. <laughs> Thank you, JP. Uh, all right, so what else we got? We got the Winchesters, the prequel to uh, Supernatural, uh, Bachelor in Paradise, The Time Traveler's Wife, another unsuccessful adaptation of that novel. And I, w- I thought it was interesting that you included She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, in your list there it was it was it makes me cringe and makes me feel uncomfortable like as a woman i feel like that's supposed to be pandering to me and i say no it's not what they want i felt like um it was like there was um well first of all i will say about she hulk i wouldn't put it on my worst list because i thought that the uh, the daredevil appearance that you know that daredevil cameo toward the end i thought that was a Oh, that was like pretty fun, classic comic book stuff. There was some cool, there was a cool Daredevil episode, and to my mind, I do feel I, I I hear what you're saying though. I felt like you know there was sort of a uh, um, an empty feminism to the show you know, that was like very specific to a certain kind of um, L.A. entertainment career gal, you know? Yes, yes, and I just found it offensive. I couldn't get past that sense. Well, what exactly did you find offensive? That's, that's interesting. I mean, like, I don't think that we we need to feature women with the the mistake of their personality is she's a woman um, because that's not a character trait. And well, there was so much in the show that was like she doesn't need to be She Hulk; she can just be Jen. I'm like, no, no, no. People want to see the lady Hulk. Yes. Yes, and if you're watching a comic book show, like, I get it, they're trying to make it like a different origin story, like, oh, she's so reluctant, but it didn't come across that way. Like, like really, the breaking things down and being like, this isn't written well enough. It's like everybody in the writer's room even acknowledged that they weren't doing a good job and thought they could make us forgive it by telling us they know that what they're doing is not good enough. Yeah, um... All right, we appreciate the meta, but uh, <laughs> you know, but but maybe let's let's make it let's make it mean something. I, again, like I thought, there were a couple of moments that were okay in that show, but it, it's interesting that you know, it's interesting that like other than that, like none of the Marvel shows from the past year like made our best made best or worst. Yeah. Although I will say, I did really like the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. I haven't watched that yet. I, I it, I'm saving it because I have high hopes. Yeah, there's a there's a couple of uh, actually quite terrific songs in it. Excellent. Yeah, so um, you know that, but but you know it's it's not like something that we I'm gonna put in in on my pantheon of of best shows of the year. All right, so let's um, 
like, you know, we're doing a best of TV of the year. And really, like, there's no way to talk about TV in 2022, to my mind, without mentioning the White Lotus, which we've talked about on this show before. But now that the season is over and sort of the murder mystery has been solved, I don't, I, I know, uh, I don't know, have you guys been watching that? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, I've pretty much watched it twice at this point. I watched liked it a whole, lot. You watched season two twice. Yeah. Other than isolated things about the first season, I didn't really like the first season that much. I didn't like how it uh, treated or didn't really deal with a lot of the characters um, in the hotel, uh, it, other than Armand, really. I thought it kind of um, dropped short drops. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of I thought it kind of shortchanged a lot of the uh, the the characters that worked in the hotel and introduced them and then you did have a massage therapist who worked in the spa. She was pretty you know, she got quite a bit of, of airtime there. She she kind of got airtime but mostly as a way of dealing with Tanya uh, dealing with Jennifer Coolidge's character and and how awful and and heartless she can be and which is a shame because um, that's a, a wonderful actor who's very funny, yeah. uh, and his name unfortunately is escaping me right at the moment. All right, but, but, we'll, we'll, but, but watch, but you watched season two twice. I did. I liked it better. Um, and I know that there, like, like Paula is, is a good example. I know that there are a lot of people who thought it was a weaker season, uh, but I really, really, really liked it. Um, I really thought a lot of the characters uh, were very funny. Um, I was even when I could call something coming in a couple of episodes, uh, I still liked watching it unfold. And maybe I just liked the, the scenery of, yeah. of Italy better, but I think I really, I think I really liked how uh, it dealt with um, the um, uh, Lucia character a lot. Um, yeah. and I, also, I thought they were a lot of fun. Just for the Mia, Mia and Lucia, who Mike White on, on a Fresh Air interview referred to as, as his Laverne and Shirley, and, you know, I just felt like, the sh I mean, for me, the White Lotus is so good because, you know, it it's just glamorous and sexy. I mean, there were sexy men, sexy women. There was mm -hmm. just sex, there were just sexy sex sex all around. And also, like, a lot of sort of, sort of funny class commentary mixed in. It's just such a great show. Paula, so, Paul, you disagree? Oh, no. I mean, I, 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 I'm a big fan of the White Lotus. I just feel like the second season just didn't do the same thing for me. The first season... You know, it felt like COVID. <laughs> like it was all very contained. It was all very like kind of sterile and stripped down and just focused on the people in this one small area. And the second season was more open, had more room to breathe, had more happening, it was more dynamic. But I just felt like, okay, how far can this go? Like, is there any gaps in the tank after this? He's going to try to keep going. I don't know. Um, I feel like the White Lotus is a franchise like the Love Boat or Fantasy Island, which he's also, which Mike White has also talked about. You just have, you can just, as long as the writing stays, you know, somewhat up to par, you have an endless uh, amount. People love the sort of um, luxury gawking at rich people and their problems, and you know, gorgeous people like having sex and doing murder. Uh, I don't think it doesn't ever really get old. It's sort of it, it's it, it is it is what entertainment is all about. As far as I'm concerned, that is my personal opinion. You know, I will say, look, look at this. You know, this list of shows uh, from the, from this year. I mean, it's it has been 
I would say, uh, a really, really good, compelling year of television. I mean, there have been some, you know, Severance, The Bear, The House, House of the Dragon. I mean, Game of Thrones came back and was was better than it had any right to be. And I'm, I'm just, I'm amazed personally at how good the TV has been this year. JP, you have something to say about that? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on your list that almost made my my list. Uh, I mean, yeah. the bear is such a good is is such an excellent show and uh, so well acted and also pretty easy to consume. It's not you know 24 episodes or anything like that. It's eight. Right. Uh, you can sit down and watch it over an afternoon, almost like a long movie. And right. I mean, it'd be worth it just for his hair. Um, and then yeah. Uh, and then I also liked a lot of the a, a lot of the other things that you had on your list. Like I enjoyed House of the Dragon, um, uh, and I also really liked the third season of Barry. I, it was like I had a hard time. Sure, there's that too. Yeah, the HBO stuff. Yeah, uh, and then, and list. better Call, and better Call Saul, which is on your list, which is you know one of the, probably the ten greatest TV shows of all time. Um, you know, although it's one of those things when you were six seasons after six seasons of it, you really you know you could watch the whole thing all the way through. Uh, it's just, you know, Vince Gilligan is just, you know, it's just a master who has not, unlike other sort of masters of that previous golden age of TV, has not um, lost uh, a step at all. So, you know, there's just there's just like a there's an endless amount of TV um, and there's an endless amount of bad TV. But the best TV, I think, of this year it, uh, matches up with the best TV of any year uh, in recent memory. So, um, you know. Here's to TV. Let's keep watching it until we die. I think we will. It, it, yeah, it, it fuels everything good in the world, TV. TV, TV, watch TV. All right, thanks, JP. Thanks, Paula. Thank you, Keep watching. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, John Paul Gwynn, and thanks, Paula Schaefer, for joining me to talk about the best and worst TV shows of 2022. There's so much TV. All I want to do for the rest of my life is watch TV. You know, if that were my actual wish, I wouldn't even need a genie to grant it. I could just, I could just do it. You just watch TV until I die. And that's the fact of what is going to happen. Also, thanks to Sarah Stewart for talking to me about Avatar The Way of Water, which was a movie that was so long, I feel like I am still watching it and will, again, watch it until the day I die. And there's nothing like the dreadlocked, loincloth-wearing Spider-Boy uh, in terms of film characters. The greatest film character in the history of film characters, greater than Rick Blaine, greater than any character ever created in the golden age of Hollywood, Spider, the most important. All right, I'm Neil Pollock. I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We bring you streaming hot content every day on the website. We have a fresh episode of the podcast for you every week. I thank you so much for tuning in and for reading the site and for supporting the arts in America and all over the world. I'll talk to you soon. You can buy the books discussed on the Book and Film Globe podcast at The Book House, Book and Film Globe's independent bookstore. Go to the Bookhouse Milburn, M-I-L-L-B-U-R-N.com to shop online and support small independent booksellers. Or visit our actual physical site in Milburn, New Jersey, where you can buy books from all the authors featured on The Dark Word and the Book and Film Globe podcasts. TheBookhouseMilburn.com.